Today we're looking at the great parable of Jesus as we deal with the question, where do we find ourselves? Where do you find yourself in God's story? Where do you find yourself in God's story? And we read God's story in our Bible, don't we? Just as we did today. We read that aspect of God's story that Jesus is sharing um, with one who interrupted his, uh, his teaching uh, with a question and one whom he taught further with a parable. You know, the parable that uh, uh, we have read today is a parable that Eugene Peterson, in his paraphrase, the message, calls the greedy farmer. Well, I don't like that name at all. The, the plot is about a farmer who uh, does have an overabundance of crops and decides to dare, tear down his perfectly good barn barns and build new and bigger barns to store his extra large crop to keep it all for himself. Now, my experience with farming has rarely seen the kind of problem having more than you need and building bigger barns and taking care of it and to keep it to yourself. This year in East Texas, the onion crop's been especially good. You might say that we have somewhat of an overabundance of crop, but I can assure you we're trying to get rid of every single onion. Amen? <laughs> you know what I've enjoyed about farming is I've enjoyed the young people who've been a part of that with me, young people whom I saw growing up right here at Lover's Lane. And uh, maybe we have some pictures of those young folk uh, in the picture. Um, or maybe not, but I had three. Here they are. This is Jacob Wiseman, uh, who I baptized right over there uh, some 20-plus years ago. Um, his parents have both been on staff here. His mother, Kristen, is still on staff here. And other youth who've made an impact. Uh, this is JP. Uh, he's been a part of our youth group for a number of years. I know Stephen and Sarah have had a lot to do with his spiritual growth and development, and I've just put him in the onion patch. And we also have Brooks. This is Brooks, and uh, he's quite the farmer. He's been uh, working on the farm in East Texas with me for a couple of years. Uh, he prefers peaches to onions, but who doesn't, right? So when I think of farming, I don't think of greedy farmers, but I do get what Jesus is talking about when he's talking about this particular parable to one who was thinking in terms of his own inheritance. He was challenging the man who wanted his inheritance and, and he wanted it right then. It reminds us of the story, what? Of the prodigal son. That will happen in the 15th chapter of Luke's gospel. This particular man came to Jesus in the midst of Jesus' teaching. And in the midst of his teaching, he yells out, Teacher, make my brother divide the inheritance with me. Now, rabbis could settle these kinds of disputes. That was part of their role. They were often called upon to interpret the law and to make decisions, uh, uh, disputes, if you will, to settle disputes, if you will, between people. And according to the text, uh, this is a large crowd that's gathered. And here the teacher, the rabbi, Jesus, is teaching to a large crowd when all of a sudden, right in the midst of it, 
He's interrupted by this man who is in essence saying, Jesus, make my brother shape up. Jesus' annoyance was obvious. He replies, who made me the divider for you? In other words, who put me over your family's issues? And then instead of adjudicating the case, he lectures the plaintiff. And the first thing he says, beware of all covetousness, for a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Do you see where God's story is heading today? When he said that, you could almost hear the gasps of thousands of hearers who were listening to the rabbi Jesus. The crowd whom Jesus addressed, they really did believe that a person's life was measured by the abundance of his or her possessions. The abundance of possessions was was seen to be a sign of God's favor. Their reasoning was that if you are right with God, then God will be good to you and will cause you to prosper. Perhaps the earliest form of the prosperity gospel we see rolling out here in the midst of Jesus' teaching and and a lesson that not only the brother needed to hear, but everyone who was in listening shot of Jesus, as well as you and I today. You know, they were in essence thinking about a passage in Deuteronomy that they were shallow in their interpretation of. In Deuteronomy, God says, I will make a covenant with you. If you will obey my laws and live righteous lives, then I will give you this good land, and you will live in it, and your descendants will live in it, and you will prosper. But if you disobey my law and do not live righteous lives and chase after other gods, then you will be punished and your days in the land will be few. Now now you have to read Deuteronomy in light of the rest of the law and the word of all the prophets to get a full understanding of, of, of what it actually means to live a righteous life and how God responds. A reading, incidentally, that was challenged by all of the prophets in the Old Testament is this particular one. For righteousness does not result in personal wealth. Righteousness results in a just society. The the scripture, God's story, is always pointing us not toward our own personal prosperity, but is pointing us toward the well-being of the entire society, is always pointing us to the other. Why would this law be different? Why would it only come to focus on a person's uh, property and, and a person's prosperity and a person's wealth? The challenge in God's story is for you and for me, for all of us, 
to be about the well-being of others because that's God's story. In a society, if a society is righteous, if the society, if the society is a, a society that is in keeping with God's way, the result will be a just society. Then in this story, Jesus turns to the parable. And he tells this parable about this farmer. And and the farmer says this in the text that Stephen read for us. Then I'll gather in all of my grain and goods, and I'll say to myself, Self, you've done well. You've got it made, and now you can retire. Take it easy and have the time of your life. Just then God showed up and said, Fool, tonight you die, and your barn full of goods, who gets it? Who gets it? You know, it's interesting that Jesus' parable turns not only to the farmer, but it turns to our own finitude. Our own example of of, of who are we really living for? Who, Who are we really trying to please? I want you to imagine for just a moment that the doctor looks at you and says, I have some very unfortunate news. Your condition's irreversible. You do not have long to live. You are in shock as you ask, how long? And he replies, a couple of months. What changes would you make in your life? What is most important to you? Would you embrace the life that God's entrusted to you to live it out moment by moment with a wholehearted authenticity, honesty, integrity, radical generosity, and in working for a more just society? Now, how do you determine what matters the most? How many of us have seen the movie The Bucket List? One of my favorites, actually. You know, the movie has two great stars, right? Jack Nicholson, the wealthy one, and Morgan Freeman, the one who is more modest with his means. But both have a terminal diagnosis, and the prognosis is you're not going to live very long. And, and so they connect, and, and they make this list, and they're going to pursue all of these things before they die. And they go skydiving, and they go to the Taj Mahal, and they drive race cars. And, uh, and then at the end, their ashes, of course, are taken to the top of the tallest mountain in the world. And there they reside in a can of mixed nuts. Now, I love this movie. But the list that, um, uh, that Jack Nicholson and Morgan Freeman make is a list that is what they think will bring them personal satisfaction before they die. 
And, and, and that's all right for their story. But, but that can't be all right for our story. If we want to find ourselves in the midst of God's story, then, then we're thinking in terms of the legacy that we leave in relation to God's call upon our lives. In the parable that Jesus told, we discover some principles for a life that really matters. Jesus reminds us that life is a gift from God. More than just our success, God is helping us with our righteousness through the power of the Holy Spirit. My, my questions this morning as we continue this message are these. Are you living to self or are you leaving a legacy reflecting your relationship with God? Are you building bigger barns or becoming a deeper soul? First, life is more than what the world deems to be success. I suppose most of us would like to make ourselves or, or something of ourselves, right? We, we want to make something of ourselves. And you know, aggressive, self-starting people, uh, the ones who never say never, they never wonder why. They never expect anybody else to do anything for them. They roll up their sleeves and they do good work. That's admirable. But, but the end result is what God's story is about. The farmer in the story is clearly successful. Crops don't get planted on their own. They don't tend to themselves. They have to be harvested. The ground has to be plowed. The seed has to be planted. The weeds have to be chopped. The weather has to be dealt with. It's not easy work being a farmer. And, and many people spend their lives in essence, building bigger barns that they think they deserve because of the stuff they need to hold on to. Many people spend their lives climbing the ladder of success only to come to the end and realize it was leaning against the wrong wall. We must make sure that the ladder we are climbing is like Jacob's ladder. As soldiers, if you will, brothers and sisters of the way of the cross. The way of sacrifice. The way of doing for others. The way of praying and working toward a godly society that is just for all. Life is more than what the world labels as success. The, the farmer in the story had a lot of stuff. 
But, but stuff rots, it rusts, it molds, it mildews, it goes away. Listen to his predicament. It's a familiar story. What, what shall I do? I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger barns. And there I will store all my grain and goods. He had a lot of stuff. And really so do we. You know, there, there's a bumper sticker that went around. Sometimes you see it on a t-shirt. You see it in places. And, and it says, the one who dies with the most toys wins. In God's story, the one who dies with the most toys dies. The, the question is, where, where's your ladder leaning? On what wall is your ladder leaning? Is your wall leaning on the ladder that is about loving God? And loving others with your heart, mind, soul, and strength. You know, a close friend of mine, actually, Greg was the best man in my wedding. He's become quite wealthy. And he and I had lunch a, a few weeks ago now, months now. And, and Greg has become a person of great faith. And, and we were talking about some of the mission trips that he's been on. He's been to Africa several times, Uganda. And, and he was just taken aback by, by the poverty that he experienced there. And, and there was one man who they wanted to have come to the Dallas area. And, and this man lived in a home that had no floor. And when he came to Dallas, Greg said that the thing that shocked him about his African friend, the thing that caused Greg to think most about the walls our ladder rests on, what was this African man pointed to a multi-story storage building? Multi-story. You've seen them, haven't you? Storage units stacked on storage units stacked on storage unit, hundreds of them. And the man simply asked a question. What are those? And, and Greg said, then I had to explain what they were. This skyscraper of sorts are storage units. That people lease for what might be half of a person's income in your country. That's per month. The lease per month would be half of the income for a year for a person in Uganda. And then he said, after I had to answer how much they paid for the single unit, I had to tell him the unit was to store stuff that wouldn't fit in the home.
Greg said with tears in his eyes, I have learned so much from those who have so little about a Lord who offers all to all. Life is more than our stuff. Life is more than our accomplishments. Life is more than our accumulation. A life that really matters is a soulful life. God said in this parable, you fool, this very night, your soul will be required of you. Jesus asked it another way as recorded in Mark's gospel, the 8th chapter, the 36th verse. What good is it for a man, person, to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Or what can a person give in exchange for his soul? Your soul is the real you. Soul is is what makes us who we are and what causes us to do what we do. The Bible is clear. Guard your soul. Nourish your soul. Don't sell your soul. In a culture that's rich in things and poor in soul, we need to hear those words words. Jesus turns our souls toward love simply. Love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. You know, Mike Iaconelli was a a Christian author. He actually started a group called Youth Specialties way back and I used to read a lot of what he said. I dug up one of, one of his writings this last week, and it said, you know, until a few months ago, I had no idea I'd lost my soul. In the busyness and the clatter of my life, as I traveled all over the world serving God, I thought my soul was just fine. But it wasn't. I spent hours every day doing God's work, but not one second allowing God to do soul work on me. I was consumed by my external and obvious and oblivious to the internal. In the darkness of my soul, I was stumbling around, bumping into symptoms of my soullessness. This is a preacher. I was busy, superficial, friendless, afraid, cynical. But I didn't even know where all of these negative parts of my life were coming from. Then I began to learn there is a difference between believing in Jesus 
and being with Jesus. Talking to Jesus and letting Jesus talk to me. Acquainted with God out there, but a stranger to God in here. Slowly my soul was reawakening by a loving Father calling me by name. I found my soul again. Friends, if we want to find ourselves in the midst of God's story, we have to focus on God's love of our souls, who we are, what we do, who we become. A life that really matters is a soulful life. And we must remember, we were not to be like the foolish one. We're not to look for the shortcuts to God. We're not called to live the foolish life, but the faithful life. We don't need bigger barns and bigger houses. We need deeper souls. We need to find our story right in the midst of God's story. We need to make sure that the ladder that we have on the wall is on the right wall and looks more like Jacob's ladder. 